0: All right. all right. Wow! Okay, that's overmodulation I didn't expect. got to turn off all the microphones that aren't here. So welcome to the Unsanctioned Citizen podcast. It's day 77. 77. Um, the Unsanctioned Citizen's 100 days of call-in. So welcome, everyone. I am going to be reading from Glenn Beck's The Great Reset. Joe Biden and the rise of 21st century fascism so but before I do I have kind of a fun thing to play for you it's a it's called fight the FUD which is fear uncertainty and doubt and it's about Bitcoin so I'm just gonna run it for you Uh, it's just kind of a fun little thing it's a play on the Lord of the Rings so let me just cue it up here
1: the world has changed You feel it in your wallet. You feel it on the internet. You smell it in the politics. Much that once was is lost, for none now live who remember it. It began with the ending of the gold standard. The US dollar was no longer convertible for gold and therefore was no longer constrained by it. Divorced from the work required to mine the hard asset, gold, the US dollar became a pure thing. No longer tied to the scarcity of the earth, The money became tied to the whims of men who, above all else, desire
2: power.
1: And within the power of the printer was bound the threat of violence to govern many nations. The people were, all of them, deceived, for another financial instrument was made. In the land of excess, in the fires of inflation, the gerontocracy forged a new kind of currency to control all others. And into this currency they poured their desire for power, and their will to surveil all life. One centralized currency to rule them all. But all was not lost. People from all sides began fighting for a decentralized, permissionless money called Bitcoin. Finally, money was discovered that did not require violence to enforce. Bitcoin is money controlled by no one and available to everyone. Like your time and your energy, Bitcoin is scarce. There will only ever be 21 million, and no government, banker, or billionaire can change the rules. The war on Bitcoin is coming, and the FUD will be strong. The separation of money and state will not come easy. Arm yourself with information and fight the FUD.
0: I thought that was pretty, pretty fun little promo there. There's, uh, there's also a link to the, to the YouTube there in the unsanctioned citizen box up above if you want to watch the entire video, which is kind of really creative and fun. So here we are. We're going to go get right to it. This is the reading, the content, the meat and potatoes that I promised you. See here? Okay. We now resume reading chapter four, Modern Monetary Theory, fuel for a global takeover. If you were just now hearing about this wild theory, you were likely thinking one or both of the following. If the government can just print money, why would it need to tax anyone? Wouldn't all this massive money printing result in inflation? Good questions, hypothetical reader. Let's address them one at a time. Taxation under MMT, or Modern Monetary Theory. Under a standard economic model, which is to say reality... Governments and politicians are generally constrained by limited tax revenue. I say generally because yearly deficits and growing national debt are proof the government is rarely able to live within its means. To initiate a new spending program, politicians are required to figure out the answer to the big question we have been discussing throughout this chapter. How are you going to pay for it? This requirement forces politicians to walk through the political minefield of revenue generation schemes. Maybe we can raise taxes on a business. Boom. The higher unemployment mine goes off. How about we raise taxes on sugary drinks? Bang. The constitution anger mine explodes. Perhaps government should issue an extra 30 cent tax on every gallon of gasoline. Kabow! The yellow vest protest mine burst. Woo. So this trek through the political, how will you pay for it, minefield, is never fun for politicians, who are typically interested in doing whatever it takes to keep voters happy so they can win more elections in the future. The sole reason most politicians wake up in the morning, or so we think. But under MMT, taxes serve a very different purpose. Instead of being used to raise revenues to pay for government spending programs, they function as tools to help the government manage the economy more closely and as weapons. To punish those businesses and groups that government do not like, for whatever reason. This is all made very clear in Kelton's book, The Deficit Myth. In in Chapter 1, Kelton outlines four ways in which taxation can be used under a modern monetary theory system. Let's call all the people, let's invite them, boom, okay, one, use our currency or else According to Kelton, the first reason governments should continue using taxes under modern monetary theory is that taxes enable governments to provision themselves without the use of explicit force. Or put another way, they require people to use dollars instead of some kind of currency. In Kelton's world, people must be pushed into using her freshly printed, government-issued monopoly money, not merely persuaded to do so. Alternative currencies such as cryptocurrencies cannot be tolerated as payment for taxes owed. Government and big banks can create all the money they want, but if no one uses or demands those pieces of paper decorated with the founding fathers and government buildings, then that paper becomes useless and elites lose their power to control monetary policy. This is an unacceptable scenario from the perspective of those who support modern monetary theory. In the past, The idea that there could ever be an America in which there was a widespread use of an alternative currency seemed too far-fetched for most people to consider, but technological advancements have made new currencies possible in a way that generations before us never dreamed of. Cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Chainlink are part of a decentralized network and not commissioned by any government, yet they have become increasingly popular over the past decades as Millions of people have started to question the long-term, long-term, long-term stability of the dollar. The values of these currencies are based solely on the popularity of the currency and the blockchain technology in which each is based. Bitcoin, for example, cannot print more units of its currency, making it attractive for many people concerned about government's addiction to debt and deficits. Of course, America is hardly on the verge of adopting Bitcoin as its primary currency. The point is, the use of cryptocurrencies has expanded in recent years, especially with the rise of e-commerce, and it is only likely to continue expanding into the years to come. For Stephanie Kelton and other MM MMTers, cryptocurrencies represent a threat to power of government and bankers. Taxation is a surefire way to guarantee that the dollar remains in use. What better way to force someone to use the dollar than to charge that person a tax that is payable only with government printed currency. 2. Inflation control. The most common knee-jerk reaction to MMT is the fear that it will cause unsustainable amounts of harmful inflation. Reasonable people are concerned that if government, with the backing of financial institutions, get in the habit of running the printing presses whenever it wants money, which is pretty much all the time. And then we will all soon end up with Zimbabwe levels of inflation. Admittedly, modern monetary theorists do spend a lot of time thinking and worrying about inflation. It is probably the thing that the academic wing of the MMT movement is most concerned with. (sighs) How then do they propose avoiding inflation while simultaneously printing trillions of new dollars? Kelton explains in her book that according to MMT, inflation is the warning sign of overspending, not deficits. Remember, in modern monetary theory, deficits are almost always a good thing. Deficit spending ensures that the economy is running at full steam, properly using its available resources, and leaving no potential workers on the sidelines. If there is a single willing worker sitting idly by without a job opportunity, modern monetary theory, supporters would argue that the government is not spending enough money, regardless of how much cash it is already printing. This does not mean government officials could wake up tomorrow and print 50 trillion, though. It is possible to spend too much cash in modern monetary theory. It occurs when private sector entities and government both buy for limited resources and too much money is chasing too few goods and services in one or several parts of an economy. If inflation occurs, how should government deal with this problem? Reduce government spending? Of course not. In- instead, Kelton suggests raising taxes to force us to cut back a little to make room for additional government spending. Kelton further argues, if the government wants to boost spending on health care and education, it may need to remove some spending power from the rest of us to prevent its own more generous outlays from pushing up prices. Stop for a moment and think about what this highly influential economist is suggesting. Under modern monetary theory, the government might need to battle inflation by destroying the wealth of the people, including the middle and working classes, in order to make room for more government spending. I guess that whole free lunch thing really is a myth after all. There is a lot more I could say about the specter of inflation And the policy prescriptions of modern monetary theorists have proposed to avoid it but we will get to that shortly for now let's get back to our list wealth distribution number three as I've already shown at length modern monetary theory gives the government a blank check to pay for all the social programs it wants from free college tuition to government guaranteed jobs programs and 100% renewable energy however Even if those programs were to work exactly as intended, and in my opinion, they never do, social programs cannot on their own address wealth inequality. But where government social programs fall short, modern monetary theorists say taxes can fill in the gaps. Kelton wrote, MMT sees taxes as an important means to help redress decades of dot 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 rising inequality. According to Kelton and others, taxes can help reduce wealth inequality by confiscating wealth from those deemed too rich, theoretically balancing the scales. Some MMT academics take an even more radical view of the use of taxation. Professor L. Randall Ray wrote the following response in reaction to questions about how taxes relate to modern monetary theory. For far too long leaning Democrats have had a close symbiotic relationship with the rich. They've needed the good rich folk like George Soros and Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and Bob Rubin to fund their think tanks and political campaigns. The centrist Clinton wing has repaid the generosity of Wall Street's neoliberals with deregulation that allowed the CEOs to shovel money to themselves, vastly increasing inequality and their own power. And they, in return, Rewarded Hillary, who by her own account accepted whatever money they would throw in her direction. Today's progressives won't fall into that trap. How are you going to pay for it? Through a budget authorization. Uncle Sam can afford it without the help of the rich. And by the way, they're just going to tax you anyway because you've got too much. Too much income, too much wealth, too much power. But what do we do with the tax revenue? Burn it. Uncle Sam doesn't need your money. In reality, taxes just lead to debits, to bank accounts. We'll just knock three or five zeros off the accounts of the rich. Of course, double-entry bookkeeping means we also need to knock zeros off the debts held by the rich. So we'll wipe zeros off the student loan debts, the mortgage debts, the auto loan debts, the credit card debts, Of American households yes debt cancellation too after many years of watching academics and corrupt politicians closely I am rarely shocked but I've got to admit when I first read this quote by L. Randall Ray I was floored it's worth looking at the most important part again they're gonna tax you anyway Ray said because you got too much too much income too much wealth too much power But what will we do with the tax revenue? Burn it. Uncle Sam doesn't need your money. Well, Ray could not possibly be any clearer about how how MMT economists plan to use taxes to punish those individuals and families who already have too much wealth, whatever that means. And what will they do with all this cash? Drench it with gasoline and lighted on fire, sort of like the Joker in the Dark Knight with less face paint and fewer henchmen dressed as clowns. Under MMT, the government does not need tax revenue, all it needs is power over its currency. Pavlina Chetnerva, a professor of economics at Bard College and research associate at the Levy Economics Institute has repeated many of the same arguments put forward by the Ray and Kelton, referring to those foolish liberals concerned about generating tax revenue as tax the rich to pay for progress lefties. And she has argued that relying on taxing the rich is an imaginary umbilical cord that holds the progressive agenda hostage to the oppressors. To me, Chennerva. Wrote, (laughs) this is the definition of self induced paralysis. Unfortunately. 4. Control of society. Imagine you were on the way home from work and you were driving a little faster than usual because, well, you had one too many Diet Cokes and foolishly left the office without using the restroom. Of course, today is your unlucky day. A local police officer catches you driving 37 miles per hour in a 30 mile per hour zone. And before you know it, you are back on your way home with a new passenger in the seat beside you. A $120 speeding ticket. Minds like these exist as deterrents to unwanted or unsafe behaviors. Society, through its elected representatives, has determined that speed limits are needed to, for protecting other drivers on the road and police officers have been tasked with ensuring that the people follow the law. Speed limits might be annoying or unnecessarily strict at times, but most Americans agree that they do serve an important purpose. Of course, every driver also knows that in addition to acting as a deterrent, speeding tickets function as a vital revenue generator for local law enforcement. So from government's perspective, everyone's a winner when a driver receives a speeding ticket the community is a little safer. The government coffers are a little more secure. Over time, politicians stumbling through the political minefield of revenue, revenue generation schemes have realized that speeding tickets are not the only way to raise revenues while eliminating bad behaviors. Today, fines are issued for all sorts of sins, especially to punish those less sympathetic groups like cigarette smokers. Why not squeeze a few bucks out of them by levying a new tobacco tax? They should not be smoking anyway, right? In many cases, governments have gone overboard, imposing a slew of excessive fines and sin taxes to help raise revenue for the town, city, state, or federal government, all under the guise of promoting public health, safety, or some other allegedly noble cause. However, in a world dominated by modern monetary theory, there is no reason for governments to pass laws for the purpose of raising tax revenue. The federal government can simply print all the money it needs and then distribute it to state and local officials. So does that mean Kelton and other MMT supporters believe their system would lead to a reduction in fines and sin taxes? Of course not. As Kelton notes, under modern monetary theory, governments can use taxes to encourage or discourage certain behaviors to improve public health, battle climate change, deter risky speculation in financial markets. So rather than disincentivizing government from imposing controls on society, a system utilizing modern monetary theory would empower policymakers to use the tax code to manipulate people, even if they no longer have a financially motivated reason to do so. Risk of inflation. Now that we have a solid understanding of how taxes fit into modern monetary theory, let's turn to the big elephant in the room. How do, how do modern monetary theorists plan to stop inflation? Traditionally, when policymakers float the idea of expanding, expanding the Federal Reserve's balance sheet or running the printing presses up to fund a new government program, those of us concerned about the national debt brace for the devaluation of our currency commonly called inflation. In extreme cases, we are reminded of the recent trampant inflation in Venezuela of 2018 or stories from the 1920s Germany where money became so worthless under the disastrous policies of the Weimar Republic that families wallpapered their homes with cash. In 2008, in Zimbabwe, hyperinflation caused By irresponsible money printing practices became so bad inflation levels topped out at eighty nine point seven six trillion percent forcing the government which could barely function under these conditions to issue bills with increasingly higher denominations in 2009 Zimbabwe released a 100 trillion dollar bill the largest denomination ever printed but hey Even though hyperinflation in Zimbabwe made it difficult for families to put food on the table, at least everyone could become a trillionaire. Don't worry, America. MM MMTers swear that Zimbabwe's hyperinflation, hell, will not happen in the United States. To defend their position, they usually cite several key arguments. Pay attention. First, the U.S. dollar is a world reserve currency, which means countries across the globe use and accept the dollar when conducting trade. Adding an extra layer of stability that most other currencies do not enjoy. This one important, so this one is important, so we'll come back to it soon to discuss further. Second, modern monetary theories uh, like L. Randall Ray argue that most of the worst examples of hyperinflation were brought on by very specific circumstances, such as civil war or huge external debts denominated in foreign currency. The U.S. dollar's status as a world reserve currency defends against both of these threats, but especially the latter. Third, modern monetary theorists say there's no reason to worry about hyperinflation because Americans have access to an unstoppable weapon of monetary security. The Congressional Budget Office, the CBO. And no, I'm not joking, Kelton said in 2019. So the best defense against inflation is a good offense. And what MMT does is to try to be kind of hypersensitive to the risks of inflation. I don't see any other macro school of thought pay as careful attention as we do to the inflation risk question. And so what we would say is, look, if you're, you are Congress, and if you are considering a new spending bill, instead of thinking about the ways in which the new spending will add to the deficit or add to the debt, you should be thinking about the ways in which that the new spending has the risk of accelerating inflation, and then avoid doing that. So instead of going to the Congressional Budget Office and saying, would you take a look at this piece of legislation and give us feedback? We'd like to know what this bill will do to the debt and deficit over time. Instead, go to the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, or other government agencies and say, we're considering passing this trillion dollar investment in infrastructure this is our bill would you look at it and we and we plan to do this spending over the course of the next five years tell us if this would create problems in the real economy evaluate the inflation risk and come back to us and and give us some feedback so let's stop here for a second before my head explodes Kelton's preposterous answer to the inflation question is to have the fate of the world's largest economy Rely on the predictions of the Congressional Budget Office? Are you kidding me? The CBO is the same dysfunctional agency that has been issuing a steady stream of false projections for decades. Its 2012 projection for Obamacare enrollment was off by a whopping 150%. For a monetary system that needs to be hypersensitive to the risk of inflation, putting all your eggs in the CBO's broken basket seems like a catastrophically bad idea. Oh, and it does not end there. Kelton also says that inflation can be prevented under MMT by vesting government with enough authority that it could micromanage the economy and thus control inflation. And so when you think about how to fight inflation, Kelton said, I think the first question is to understand what the source of inflationary pressure is, and then to move forward with a policy tool that you think is going to help you get at that inflation. If you've got inflation resulting from energy price increases, it's probably not going to go going to do much to have the Fed raise interest rates, or even have Congress raise taxes. You've gotta do something else that's gonna work. So this quote unquote solution is the one that provides the real secret herbs and spices that make MMT such an important part of the plan to create 21st century fascism. Let's use Kelton's example of the energy market to illustrate this point. In Kelton's modern monetary theory fantasy, policymakers begin using freshly printed money to chase their goal of 100% renewable energy. Money begins to flow into politically connected companies that start producing big, beautiful new solar panels and wind turbines. Energy prices then start to increase. This is deemed inflation. But the public has no reason to be concerned because political elites, who are often barely functional human beings to begin with, are, are given the green light craft policy tools and then use the tax code to fight against rising prices. What could possibly go wrong? Well, for starters, why should we believe that the same people who created this brand new inflation-causing energy system would be smart enough to fix it? Why didn't they just design the system to avoid inflation in the first place? And if government officials are so great at problem solving and planning, why haven't they figured out a way to get Amtrak to turn a profit for the Post or the Postal Service to stop hemorrhaging billions of dollars per year? Further. Does anyone really think politicians are going to cut off funding to well-connected renewable energy companies amid a transition to a world of free of fossil fuels? Surely politicians would not put concerns about inflation before the existential threat of global warming, right? In the end, Kelton's system would depend on a scapegoat to blame when everything goes horribly wrong. In this case, it would almost certainly be fossil fuel companies who have in recent decades fallen out of favor with the ruling elites, it would not be hard to convince those in charge to give oil and gas companies the axe to help bring prices down after government's money printing effort drives them up. You can play out these type of scenarios in virtually every sector of the economy. Ultimately, the trillions of new dollars created by governments would, re- would result in inflation either In the economy as a whole or in specific sectors forcing bureaucrats to selectively identify the sources of inflationary pressure and then craft policy tools to deal with those problems it's a perfect plan for those who are trying to control society but as for the rest of us well we will be left out in the cold especially if the entire country is required to run on wind and solar at present Elites at the Federal Reserve have essentially one major monetary lever in their toolbox, the baseline interest rate. During the periods of economic malaise, the Fed turns the dial and lowers interest rates in an attempt to boost markets by infusing them with cash from lower interest loans. When inflation creeps in, the Fed turns the dial in the other direction, raising interest rates to curb rising prices. Modern monetary theory throws out the dial and replaces it with a gigantic control panel filled with levers, knobs, and switches that allow bureaucrats to manage the economy and society as they see fit. Sounds like something people calling for a great reset of the global economy would like. Those calling for a great reset like the idea of modern monetary theory so much They invited the face of MMT, Stephanie Kelton, to speak on behalf of the economic theory during a November 2020 World Economic Forum virtual event promoting the movement. During her segment, Kelton told the panel they need not worry about debt and deficits. And she then explained how MMT could be used to justify massive spending programs designed to transform society. Governments can establish Quote, governments can establish where it is they want to go and they can provide the kind of large-scale and patient finance that can remain in place for the duration of the time that we are going to be making transformative investments in our economy moving forward, Kelton promised the great reset overlords who I can just imagine couldn't have been happier to hear about the magic of modern monetary theory. The end of the dollar. While MMTers attempt to paint their proposed monetary system as merely a more efficient way of managing the economy, it is in reality an incredibly risky experiment. And what what happens if the experiment goes awry? As I mentioned earlier, modern monetary theorists try to soothe critics' concerns about hyperinflation by saying that even if the government bureaucrats and policymakers do not manage things perfectly in the future the US dollar's status as the world's reserve currency would protect Americans from hyperinflation as a nightmare. There is no question that the dollar's world reserve currency status would help at first, but who's to say that the dollar would remain in the global reserve currency in a universe in which the United States chose to embrace modern monetary theory? As recently as July 2020, Goldman Sachs warned that the dollar is increasingly at risk of losing its World Reserve status. Strategists for Goldman specifically cited the Federal Reserve's swelling balance sheet and growing debt levels as the primary reasons for their worries. The United States were so aggressively were to aggressively travel further down the money printing road as Stephanie Kelton and others have suggested is entirely possible and probably inevitable. Whoa, come back. Come back, come back. Oh, well. Something happened, and my nook decided to depart. So we have a few minutes left in this uh, day 77 to talk to you about things. If anybody wants to jump up here and discuss what was just read while I try to find my place. You know, these these are Glenn Beck's words, but I find them highly credible, depending... You know, based on the things that I've been expected to, uh... There it is. No, it's not. Okay. So, let's see here. Nope. I've got to go back and find my place. Something happened with my my tech. Oh, well, there's Jonathan. I figured he'd have something to say. Go ahead, Jonathan.
2: Oh, I always have something to say. Well, yeah, the federal jobs guarantee is a terrible idea. That level of central planning did not work for China in the nope. 50s. Did not work for anyone ever. And what about BRICS?
0: BRICS? I have a question for you, just kind of like a pop quiz about BRICS. Between Russia, India, China, and South Africa. That's the, the mean competitor for the U.S. dollar at the moment.
2: Well... I can't uh, pretend to know a lot about bricks but when I think about mean competitors I think mostly about the other dollars there's like a whole euro dollar system that's mm-hmm. totally in the dark and then there's of course China who wants to strengthen their currency eventually sort of playing the long game about it but what you have with MMT is like a bunch of just they start with a bunch of things that nobody knew about how money works and then immediately jump into a kind of Maoism, because Mao Tong had basically.
0: So, so you're saying that it's it's communist theory, it's economic it's, communist theory.
2: It's kind of a communist theory because if you, th- communism has an inherent contradiction inside of it, which is that it's kind of like you ever heard anybody say everybody's special because i always roll my eyes at that right because when you say everybody's special you're saying nobody's
0: no one's special that's right yeah (laughs)
2: that's
0: what i hear too
2: this that's that's the sort of problem with communism because when nobody's supposed to own anything i mean you own your car stereo but you don't own no the government owns everything right but there's not supposed to be a government in communism But when nobody owns everything, it's the same thing as saying everybody owns everything. So when the rubber has to hit the road somewhere, eventually, a decision has to be made about a piece of property, about how something gets produced. Nobody slash everybody makes the decision. And who's the avatar of everybody? The state. They won't call it the state. But it's a group of representatives that speak for everyone. That's the state. And so communism is sort of a contradiction in and of itself because it will always end up being a single party state apparatus which will become authoritarian in short order making the decisions where everybody goes and then you replace millions of minds and tens of millions of hands at work with a dozen guys in a polypure deciding where every grain of rice goes and that's how you starve 15 million people because that's a kind of hubris that sh- nobody should have but when they say that when you bur- when you pay taxes you burn money I mean that's true if you have a fiat currency yeah if you when when they say the deficit doesn't matter I know what they mean but they seem not to think when you make a deficit what you're doing is you're trading public debt for private debt and I don't think I've ever gonna a good MMT person give a good response to why the debt to GDP ratio is a complete non-entity when you have a situation approaching when the debt service of the Mm -hmm. treasury to the fed is going to outpace earnings and they don't like to parse asset inflation from where is that money
0: coming from that's that's the whole premise behind this entire chapter how are you going to pay for it
2: it's the thing is like there's always truths mixed with lies or truths truth mixed with error like where's the money going to come from well it does come from nowhere all money comes from nowhere and like i said like that's true where's who's going to pay for it is a stupid question because Where's the money going to come from? You just make it up. But that doesn't mean that you should at every juncture. You have to sort of have a, a theory of political economy, not just monetary theory, that yeah. has nothing to do with monetary theory in order to make those decisions. I don't know why. they. I mean, I do know why, but it's backwards. Well, just
0: say it. Just say it, Jonathan. If you know why, just say it for the benefit of the listeners.
2: Because they don't want you to know how it works because the people who are the bankers who have bought all the politicians don't want you to know how it works. I went to a state university and I received a neoliberal education. Every single thing they told me in econ 102, because 101 was micro and 102 was macro. Everything they told me in 102 was a lie. Like everything. You still have people who think that 99% of of Americans, and here's where the MMT people get traction. It's true that 99% of Americans think that one of the bank issues a mortgage those dollars existed the day before that's not you know no they did just conjure it up
1: yeah even the way you're
2: talking and the way that Glenn Beck is talking he Glenn Beck thinks that the government writing checks aka fiscal policy is where money comes from and it's where some money comes from but 90% of money comes from monetary policy and it's when banks create credit that's where money comes from yeah the consideration
0: issue is is uh, like I said it's it's another parallel construction where I mean it's immensely powerful it's immensely powerful but the government hasn't figured out how to artfully um, rebalance that to where it's representative of the interests of the nation and here is one such issue where they're like oh we're we decided we're not gonna be very smart and we're going to ignore sound advice of economists who actually study and work on this, and we're going to defer to dumb policy. It is, it's dumb policy. As a seven-year-old, I was quizzed by my father, who in an angry moment asked me, you know, what would you do if the economy was flagging, and you could print money, and, you know, of course, obviously, I raised my little juvenile hand, and I said, uh, uh, print money? Uh, 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 you know, and, and the thing is, is that I didn't know anything. I didn't know what the, the the economy is supposed to be backed in. And we have rational assets and, and fixed assets like real estate, okay, which got kind of muddled. Okay, muddled is uh, kind of a uh, really benign term, but it, it really got maced really in the 2008 bubble. And, and there's been a great recovery. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to shirk at it. We've had a terrific recovery. I'm sitting in a house right now that that we bought but it was um, it was quite a hike. You know, the 2008 crash was nothing to sniff at and it reverberated around the globe. We're still feeling the effects of the pandemic. I personally have optimism. I think that we can be a tremendously resilient economy if things are constructed properly and we don't uh, kind of rely on the personal morality of this, this banking industry. Which, you know, it's it's been regulated, but we kind of have a weak enforcement regime right now. They want to tax and enforce on the people they feel are weaker than them, and then not go over the ones who are kind of more artful, more devious, lower in character, greedier than, say, you and me because we just go to work every day, right? You know, I'm not going to be as calculating as a banker. I don't care about as money as much. I care about it right now because it's destroying my life. But, you know, and I'll get real interested in anything that's that's you know actively twisting my arm. I'll get real interested real fast. But, um, when I'm not interested, I'm I'm interested about other things. You know, the, like the conjoining of my identity as a currency. That's always been something that I've been perpetually like on. For the last 15 years, unfortunately. So, um, I'm always kind of hyper-anxious about it. Because I know it's... was
2: only ever supposed to be a means to an end. But it became an end in and of itself. When the having of it became more profitable than, like, getting it through organic means. Which is backwards. Like, which is why we need to end all taxes except wealth tax have to go because they that, that's
0: one proposal Jonathan and i think that that the people are not necessarily going to to join you immediately in that in that favor okay definitely not the rich they might want to spread well, out the tax you know if everybody had the same type of tax like a flat tax they might go for it
2: well flat or 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 progressive and i just mean progressive in the sense of tiered you know like, you know, the more you have the more you pay but w- whether it's flat or progressive it cannot be on transactions on vice taxes are stupid sales taxes are stupid we, we just FICA talked about that stupid. yeah, yeah. Ex- exactly like, all that's nonsense syntaxes are stupid uh, the, every every tax is stupid if it's on a high velocity money
0: now, now we're, we don't have anybody in the room that's like really really pro tax like you're stealing from them if you don't pay your taxes Okay, now those people are out there. They're not on this call, but they are out there. And let me tell you, they're difficult people. They will they will yeah. yell in your face and scratch you if you propose or, or insinuate that you should not pay taxes well, because they believe in the ultimate power of the state. It's the ultimate power like, of uh, the empire.
2: Tax. Sorry, well, go I ahead. I had a conversation with Bree the other like about the abortion thing where we took the tax that it was like a abortion is killing instead of saying it's not killing you say it is killing and sometimes killing is the right thing to do which is why I can be like pro choice pro euthanasia and pro capital punishment and they're all pro killing but sometimes killing is the right thing to do so instead of saying taxes are not theft I'm going to say taxes are theft and sometimes theft is what is necessary but not when you're taxing poor people the only people need stealing from are the people who are getting free value from the system you just take it back and the only people getting free value from the system are really the top. Because an argument for the top 20, and then there's an argument for only the top 5% of people are actually harvesting value from the system. Okay. It's,
0: well, I mean, I don't know if I, I can agree with that wholly. I would say a flat tax is all I would be willing to go with because then it would be
2: flat tax. Met, meta fair,
0: meta fair for everyone. But I that I gotta wrap it. I cannot wait to have this conversation ongoing. We've been reading from uh, Glenn Beck's. The Great Reset. I hope you'll join us again tomorrow around this time. Uh, Until then, thank you for listening to the Unsanctioned Citizen. I hope you stay free wherever you are. Thanks for listening. Before you go, hit the subscribe button. Remember that callers are welcome. Subscribers can access Unsanctioned Citizen podcast archives at
2: Substack, Podomatic, iHeartRadio podcasts, and Call-In. Please stay in touch. We want to hear from you visit SheilaMDean.com.